Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to WebRush. This is episode 190. Today's topic is building apps with Capacitor, React Native, or Flutter. And we've talked about some of these topics in the past. We haven't talked about them together. So I'm excited about this today. My name is John Papa, and along with Ward Bell, my co-host, we're going to really dig deep into this mobile world today. Ward, do you have a mobile phone? Do you know what those are? Uh, you know, I just went through my stockpile of old phones, and uh, uh, finally, uh, I thought maybe I should have a museum. Uh, my own private museum of stuff. So, you know, I, I, uh, brought out this whole collection and then I threw them all away. <laughs> did you? <laughs> I, I did. I said, what? I mean, it was just like, you know, on and on and on and all these, and I looked at these things and they, they were not fond memories of, uh, uh, even my Palm Pilot, uh, which by the way, you, when I, I used to wander around the halls of Microsoft, um, when John was working there and I was, some kind of something. I don't know why I was there. And these guys would rib me unmercifully because I would whip out the Palm Pilot while they were all deep into that phone that we all have now, the Windows phone, as I recall. Uh, <laughs> so turnaround is fair play, Johnny boy. It, it is. And I, I was just saying, I remember when I first met you for a while, you had like what I called the Batman belt phone. Exactly. Where it was strapped onto your belt, that big large thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was my Get Smart Shoe phone. Uh, True. So, the uh, Shoe phone. Oh, good reference there to uh, Get Smart. Hey, yes. Nice. Missed it by that much. Oh, I love that show. You know, I, I actually went through my old phones recently, too. Uh, I was returning a phone. Uh, it's time for my daughter to get her upgraded phone. And I was like, you know what? I've got a bunch of old iPhones. Let me go see if what I can get for trade-in. And I, I brought them to Apple and they all had something wrong with them so that I would literally get nothing, like small cracks here or there. Uh, so I have like an iPhone 5, an iPhone 6, an iPhone 7. And uh, yeah, they're still sitting at my desk. I, I was talking to my wife the other day and how much suddenly, you know, I didn't used to look at my phone because I couldn't look at my phone. Now I'm looking at my phone and it's constantly reminding me how many hours I'm spending with the darn thing. And now I have to worry about privacy. I never had to worry about privacy with a flip phone because there wasn't doing anything. And now, you know, today we're going to be talking about putting an app on there. And I want to call that into question. I want to go back to the days of like the, you know, the flip when a phone, phone was a phone, the, when you actually talk to people on a phone. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a tin can on a string, something because... There's nothing good about what's happened here. This is, uh, this is uh, you know, we're headed for... Who in their right mind would want to put an app on a six-inch screen, you know? I think, it's, I think that's wrong. It's, it's, well, it's, it's, it's good evil. that our guest today is not in his right mind. Uh, I want to welcome to the show Thomas Vitas. How are you doing? That's, that's a great description of how my brain works. Uh, <laughs> hey, John, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming, Thomas. And I want to introduce you to our audience, those who may not be aware of you. Let's learn a little bit more about Thomas. Thomas is a cross-functional software engineer with a focus on mobile and web applications. He works currently at Ionic as a developer experience engineer on Capacitor. In his free time, he likes to compose music, create 3D art and animations, and participate in game dev jams. 
Thomas, you're an ionic kind of guy, aren't you? I am an ionic kind of guy. And can you know I what? ask what those things are? Like, what is a, I'm always learning something on the show. And one of them I hope to learn today is what is a cross-functional software engineer? So all of my jobs have been at tiny startups um, where, the, where it's, there's only one or two engineers and it's like, we need a mobile app. We need an API. We need a front-end engineer. Um, so I use the word cross-functional. Like I kind of do a little bit of everything. Uh, right now I focus mostly on mobile, but I've done a lot of React and Vue and I've done a lot of backend stuff with Node and Laravel. Um, so my, inform- my backend API stuff might be a little out of date, but I touch a little bit of everything. Um, with everything I do at Ionic. Great. That helps helps me. I think I know what that is. I I, I cook spaghetti for my development team. So I think that's uh, that's part that makes me cross functional. <laughs> so you're you're multidimensional. You are a Rubik's Cube in pants. I gotcha. Okay. Exactly. So, <laughs> we hear I think that's true. We don't hear cross functional engineer a lot, but we do hear the term uh, full stack or in the old days we used to hear Jack of many trades, uh, you know, with software devs too. It sounds like you you don't just do mobile dev. You do all the things. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't class my, classify myself as a full-stack engineer just because I also touch a little bit of that mobile stuff. And full-stack's kind of traditionally been back-end and front-end web. Um, I, but I do a little bit more than that. So I describe myself as cross-functional, but you can throw whatever label you want at me. <laughs> oh, don't, don't give that kind of freedom to Ward. That's usually dangerous. Throwing labels <laughs> out. <laughs> okay, so now that I, I understand... And that's actually great because our audience, well, at least I like to know that the people we're talking to have actually um, understood the range of things that we have to cope with in the real world. So, um, yeah. So let's talk about uh, capacitor. Is is a capacitor or capacitor or what, what were you calling it before, Ward? Capacitori. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so really what, I mean, capacitor, it sounds, um, sounds nifty, sounds shocking. Uh, uh, tell us what it is and where it applies. Sure. So capacitor is a way of taking your web application, whether it's built in React, Vue, Angular, straight up JS, and making it so it turns into a native Android or a native iOS project. And that's about the, the two sentence elevator pitch. Uh, it takes websites and web apps and makes it so you can easily make uh, a native mobile app out of it. So, and, and so while I, I sort of, I've, I've written my web app and then I go, make this work for iOS, make this work for Android, make this work for Palm Pilot. Is that how that? Uh, in essence, yeah. Um, a lot of people might add it at a later point. A lot of people might start with a capacitor application um, and, and build the mobile experience first. But yeah, you can add it to your web I, the tools are web first, um, so you can start with it or add it in later. You hear a lot these days about, you know, all the design, you know, it should be mobile first. And then um, I, I've been always a little suspicious about that, you know, because of the kind of apps I write. But um, do you have religion on that or do you say, you know what, get there the way you get there? You can you can get there the way you want to get there. There are certain things that you don't really need to think about on the web that you should think about on mobile, like oh, this this button, these phones are huge. They're six inches now. Like, can a thumb reach that far across? Um, but that's more like your user experience. When it comes to like making the app itself, um, you can kind of, with Capacitor, kind of say, I want to make this into a mobile app when you're halfway through development. And that would totally work. 
Hey Ward, you know, I was building an application the other day and I pulled in this really cool UI component, but it brought along a lot of dependencies with it. How do you deal with that? I don't like that, John. Um, it reminds me uh, that the AG Grid, which is a uh, an advanced uh, data editable data table that we use in a lot of our enterprise apps because it, it addresses the complex scenarios we encounter. Um, AG Grid doesn't have any dependencies at all. Zero dependencies. Well, tell me, why, why is that good? Like, what is the value of having zero dependencies? Well, it's, it's wonderful not having to wonder if while I'm pulling that in, I'm also pulling jQuery in or Lodash or who knows what, uh, in part because that's extra stuff coming over the wire. It's extra files that I don't know what they're all about. Uh, it means when my client security team has to evaluate this, they're evaluating AG Grid and not everything else that might be slipping in under the covers or something that we have to worry about there. You know, it's great to see this day and age, you can have a zero dependency library that does something like complex data grid functionality. So all of you out there, do check out AG Grid at their website at ag-grid.com. So there's other entrants into this space too. We mentioned in the title here, there's, there's Flutter, uh, which Google makes, promotes, does stuff with, right? And Flutter has right. taken a uh, pretty, pretty, uh, I'd say it's pretty high level of uh, adoption, it seems, or at least noise out in the space for the last couple of years. Uh, React Native, which has been out much longer, obviously, uh, than Flutter, but has uh, done very well as well, which is a, uh, I guess, loosely spun, it's a flavor of React, but for mobile apps. Uh, and Ionic's been around for a long time, but really Ionic seems to be morphing into this capacitor as its main play. So where does capacitor fit into that ecosystem of when people are making a choice of would I pick Flutter? Would I pick React Native? Would I pick Capacitor? Um, how do you differentiate yourselves? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the best way to describe it is is kind of, let's talk a little bit about how Capacitor functions, how React Native functions, and how Flutter functions. Please do. Uh, they're, they're all great engineering tools. I want to say that up front. Obviously, I'm a little biased towards Capacitor, uh, but all these projects will make great, performant, excellent mobile apps, and the teams behind them are all super smart. Um, but they all have different design philosophies on how the apps are rendered and how they're built. So let's start with Capacitor. Um, like I said before, it's web first. You can kind of add it in at any point in the process. It takes the device's native web view that comes bundled with your iOS or Android phone already and um, allows it. So we, we add the appy stuff to it. So if you want to know What's my location? Uh, I want to send a push notification. Um, you can write a capacitor plugin. We provide a couple of those out of the box. Um, and it's mostly, it takes your web code and provides a nice API to interact with the native layer. Uh, now, React Native, how that works is, if you've ever written React, it has this templating language called JSX. And with React Native, you don't write HTML. You still write JavaScript, but... Rather than making a div, you'll make a native element. I think it's called a box. Um, and you're not writing web code. You're writing these native elements. But you're laying it out just like you would with a React web application. And Flutter, which is, like you said, kind of the new kid on the block, uh, re-implements all of it. Uh, they've built a rendering system that's kind of similar to a web canvas. And they use Dart as their primary language. Um, but they make their own native buttons and they make their own native uh, elements. So it, it's kind of like a hybrid where it, it's rendering on a canvas uh, and it's not particularly native in the sense that React Native is, um, but they're implementing their own rendering engine and it's fast and performant. 
Um, and yeah, that's kind of at a high level how they work. So if I could interrupt you that it sounds like if I tell me where I'm off on this, it sounds like with capacitor, you can write JS and JavaScript and HTML and basically develop web apps that also work on mobile. And then you can get the mobile integrations with the mobile specific features like geolocation and other things. Is that right so far? That's correct. Yeah. I like to tell people that if it works on a web browser, it'll work in capacitor and more. And there's nothing, there's nothing new you have to learn though to do that. And then you go to React Native and you're still writing JavaScript and you're writing React uh, syntax like with JSX, but instead of the HTML and the JSX, you're putting in web-specific tags, sorry, um, mobile-specific tags that are targeting React Native on mobile devices. Is that correct? correct? Yes. Okay. So it's a little less, so it's still very familiar to web developers, but a little more specific to mobile. And then with Flutter, it sounds like you're saying that you write with Dart and it's very platform-specific targeted. So none of your web skills really apply directly as far as JavaScript or HTML. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Dart Dart is very similar. It's kind of like this mix of JavaScript and TypeScript. So if you're a web developer, it'll, it'll, it won't feel all that different. Um, but, uh, it is like a different platform to learn. Now with, with each of these three, um, do you know, specifically with capacitor, I'm most interested, do you have to write different things to make it work in iOS versus Android? For capacitor? No. Um, the way that we render it is we take, like I said before, we take the device's native web view and kind of we abstract away the native code for you. So if you have a really specific use case, like let's say you want to live stream your video or live stream your podcast and you want to make sure it's really fast and performant, that's a little bit more difficult to do on the web. You can do it on mobile. So you might need to write native Android or native iOS code, but you would need to do that with Flutter or React Native anyways. Um, in Capacitor, you write your website, and we just render it in Safari on iOS and Chromium and Android. Um, so if it looks good on both those browsers, it will look good in the app. And that's when you would write for Capacitor, that's when you write what you call custom native iOS code? Correct. We we call it our plugin API, custom native code. Um, there's tons of plugins out there. Um, yeah, we have great docs on how to do that. Does C- Capacitor give you access to features of the mobile environment that wouldn't uh, otherwise be available in, in the web. I know more and more browsers are, be, you know, authorize you to reach functionality that would be in the device. Um, but not everything is there or easily accessible. Is Does um, Capacitor come with special widgets that help you get to that thing that would otherwise be hard to get to? Yeah. So let's take uh, push notifications, for example. That's something that feels really mobile-y. Um, on Android, when you have is a progressive mobile, it is now. <laughs> it is now okay. <laughs> Mobile-ish, mobile-like. <laughs> gotcha. Um, <laughs> when you have a progressive web app or a PWA on Android, you can send a web push notification. But on iOS, you can't do that. So Capacitor, we have a push notifications plugin. Um, that's an official plugin maintained by Ionic um, that you can drop in your app, and you can send that native push notification. So. Uh, we kind of fill in the gap. Like the web does a ton. It's it's just getting better and better. Uh, but Capacitor does provide uh, plugins so you can kind of fill in the gaps that you don't quite get in the web. And I'm looking at your docs for Capacitor push notifications right now for iOS, just because that's what I happen to use. It sounds like what you would do is just do an NPM install of at Capacitor slash push notifications. And then you've got some code samples here on how to actually hook into the API. Is, is that basically the two steps? First install with NPM, second just hook into the API? Yep. We provide 
little over a dozen uh, plugins for stuff that most apps would use, stuff okay. like device, like am I running on Android or iOS? What's my OS version? Uh, we have a battery API. We have like a cookie API. We have a push notifications API. Uh, most recently, we launched a Google Maps uh, API, so you can quickly just drop a map in your app. But stuff that would apply to most mobile applications that don't quite work on the web, we have plugins for. So on the list of APIs that you support, like I'm looking at some of these and I see Google Maps and push notifications, but let's take a simpler one like Toast. Are all of these APIs using the native features of the mobile device or are they a re-implementation that you've, not you specifically, but that Ionic has written to do that? Like is the Toast a native uh, iOS and Android Toast or is it something that Ionic puts in? Yeah, it's a native iOS or Android toast. Uh, it's, it's like a native system notification. Okay. We're not uh, mocking it like in a way that Ionic Framework does. Uh, we, a capacitor calls that android.showToast function or that iOS show system notification function. So it's it really like, it exposes the native functionality in a way that web apps just can't do. Okay. And the reason I asked is I'm looking at the, the documentation for toast. I like toast because first I wrote, app called ToasterJS about 12 years ago for the web. So I'm familiar with how to write these, but it's a simple API, literally just toast.show, mm-hmm. right? And you show something right. and you could probably um, have a prompt too, if you needed to in some way. But well, I'm looking at your example in the docs and it says right in the top, provides a uh, notification pop-up for displaying important information to a user. And then it says, just like a real toast. And that, that's what <laughs> made me wonder, well, is it a real toast or is it a... <laughs> So you're saying it is a real toast. It's a native toast. It's yep. rye toast. <laughs> I'm a fan of pumpernickel myself. Well, I was spelling it W-R-Y, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> there you go. And I get specific on this only because um, docs are an important piece of any API to me. And when you read the docs, maybe that's the only thing somebody knows. So that's why I, I know when I look at this stuff, I would prefer to use the natives when I can, as opposed mm-hmm. to something that's a shell or a shim on top. Right. That definitely makes a lot of sense. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. And maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRx Redux on the front end, and .NET and Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. So what's... Um, what's- you're you're responsible for developer experience. It says in your bio. Um, what does how does what does that mean for you in with regard to capacitor? What's the what what are your objectives and how would uh, you know what makes it, the developer experience um, a real plus? Yeah. So um, developer experience is kind of 
kind of encompasses a lot of things. So one of them is kind of developer advocacy, showing up and making videos, podcast appearances, and, and making it so people are aware of the thing you're doing. Um, and another big part of that is how does it feel to use this? So people might have heard the term user experience or UX before. Like, how do our users feel using it? Uh, DX or developer experiences, how, how do devs feel using our tools? Capacitors is a tool for developers. So we want to make sure when they're using it, it, it feels good to use. They're not running into major pain points. So some of the things I do on a day-to-day um, besides uh, writing blog posts or docs will be um, adding features or fixes to our command line interface that helps interface with those Android or iOS projects, um, responding to GitHub issues, helping triage issues, help users on our forum or Discord, kind of making sure their experience with a capacitor is a smooth one. Uh, we don't want people to run into the tool and say, ah, I can't get this to work. This is terrible. I hate I hate capacitor. Like That's not what we want. So my job is to make it uh, feel good and nice to use. And what do I pay for capacitor? Zero dollars and zero cents. Uh, it's open source. It's MIT licensed, just like all the other Ionic tools. Um, you can download it for free, no strings attached. Um, there are paid plugins for more enterprise users, but all of the core features that we've been talking about so far are free to use. So th- that really, and I know you're saying that tongue-in-cheek word, right? But yeah, it always people throws me. You have to, because it always throws me in thinking that everybody today, myself included, feels like everything should be free, right? All software should be free. Let's get it off the web. But if you look at the major players in this, like Capacitor, React Native, and Flutter, they're all free to use uh, and do what you want. I imagine with all of them, there are places that you could get support, paid support, if you wanted to do that. I imagine Ionic does that too, like with Capacitor, if you want paid support. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we offer enterprise paid support um, for bigger companies. We have a ton of big companies that use Capacitor. Right. And it makes um, sense not- for them to have that first line of defense support as opposed to John Pop and Ward Bell building a podcast app that you know may not need it. But Right, yeah. And that's one thing that we really try to push home when we're, when we're selling is, hey, Ionic, we, we build Capacitor and, and to a greater extent, Ionic and Stencil and all the other tools we build. React Native, it just, Facebook just kind of throws out there. And with Flutter, yeah. Google just kind of throws it out there. So if that's important to your company, um, that's a big selling point. But like I said before, they're all great projects. They all have big, big, great communities. It really comes down to what your business need or what you need as a developer um, and whether or not you want to pay for that or not. But the product itself is, is free, and there's a big community of people that will help support you. I don't want to sound bitter, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the day when we would write one of these things, you know, <clears throat> and then we could sell it and and get, you know, licensing revenue and just kick back <clears throat> and enjoy <clears throat> the revenues while we slept. <clears throat> that golden era of software is exactly like the golden era of music, I think, when artists used to get paid and now they can't get paid either. It's really weird not being able to charge for the work that you do, but <clears throat> I accept that's the world we live in. It, that's one of the reasons I bring that up, because like Ward, as you mentioned, Idea Blade used to, that was one of your primary, not generally, but primary business models was to build software like DevForce uh, that people would you built it, you invest up front, then people buy a service plan and a license fee. And you weren't the only ones doing yep. that. <laughs> and that's why we had investors in our company. That's what, that was the business model. Uh, <clears throat> and now it's tough. I, I don't mean to get distracted by that because people want to know about capacitor, but, but um, it does get back to 
I never take it for granted that any product that you can get is free. And that's why I brought it up. Well, I think it's important too, because, uh, I've got a perspective of, um, I currently work for Microsoft and developer relations, but I used to work at large companies where we were making decisions on which products to buy, things like what Ward is talking about. And when we made decisions on mobile, I remember Ionic was one that we made a decision on uh, at a previous company I was at at one point. And I remember talking with the Ionic folks uh, as we were going through React Native, Ionic, and a couple other options at the time. This before Flutter existed. And one of the things we were discussing was, well, it's great that we can try all of these. We literally built a proof of concept in all the ones we were testing out because it was free to do so. The code was there. The docs were there. Same way it is today. You can try it, build it, see what it feels like. And then we also had the option of looking at, okay, well, what if we run into a roadblock? Which company is going to be there to stand behind us? Because if we have a 24-7, you know, priority one, tier one level, this cannot go down app, what are we going to do? You know, and if you got a mobile app that runs your business, you you need to make sure that works. And that's one of those things I think is always important to look at. And I'm not saying Ionic is the best choice for that, but I'm saying it's good to know that they are a choice that you can make uh, with support. I would never, as an enterprise company, invest in a platform that I couldn't find support for if it was mission critical. So that's why I asked that. Yeah, that's becoming more and more common. Um I don't know. I don't think I can name the app, but there are uh, there have been situations in the past where, oh no, our, our app uh, was taken off the app store, and it was it was due to the underlying platform. It was due to capacitor, and if React Native or Flutter had a similar problem, uh, it's just like, well, you just got to wait till they release the next version. Um, but we this, this was years ago at this point. Uh, we built them a custom version and, and shipped to the app store, and they were back up within the day. You know, the other, I'm going to say one more thing on this, and, and it's not to knock Google or anything like that, but one of the things that one, you know, you sort of, we used to say, oh, you know, Google will never walk away from that technology. You're safe as a church, big company. The company's not going anywhere. And, uh, yeah. We, we used to say that, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but we know that's not true. And, um, and, and this is the second go round for Dart. Dart started and then, uh, I thought it was going to die a merciful death and disappear. And here it is back in, you know, in our attention again in the form of Flutter. <clears throat> uh, and I hope it's it remains successful. I have no ill feeling toward it. But these things happen and they don't just happen to smaller companies than Google is my point. So uh, this is as an enterprise purchaser, you you're you're making a bet. I mean, Microsoft, you know, Silverlight, whew, you know, that was that was a given. I thought for sure Silverlight was forever uh, and we could go on and on like that. So um, I'm just saying for people out there, it's there's no there are no givens there. Um, but enough on, <coughs> on that. Well, yeah, enough ahead. on that. Yeah, APIs. So, Thomas, action sheet, app, app launcher, browser, camera, clipboard, device, dialogue. All these APIs are in there. And. I'm sure our, our listeners can go check out your docs. I'll drop a link into the here as well. But I want you to tell our listeners, like, what is what is the compelling features of Capacitor that you want them to know about? I, I think the biggest thing with Capacitor is it's it's easy to use, it's quick, and it, it gets out of your way. So one of the other kind of cross-platform tools out there that a lot of people compare it to is, is Cordova. 
Um, Apache Cordova, it was an open source project that Adobe maintained years ago. They have since stopped maintaining it, and it is, it is in kind of the ward of the open source community. Um, and with Capac- and with Cordova, the uh, the project was kind of wholly maintained by these unwieldy, huge configs. Um, and with Capacitor, we just kind of stay out of your way. We say, hey, this is your web app. You want it in Android, you want it in iOS, we'll make it that really easy for you. Um, and we try to stay away from the native mobile parts as, as much as possible. Uh, so the experience is nice and clean for you. Like, like I was saying before, if it works in the if it works in your web browser, it'll work in Capacitor. Um, I think that's kind of the biggest thing. And you can add it at any time. You can, like I said, you can start with Capacitor, or you can add it in at the ninth hour, and you can add it or the eleventh hour, or the ninth hour, any hour. <laughs> uh, you can add it in whenever you want. Um, where with React Native, Flutter, and kind of those other options out there. You really need to say, I am making a mobile application with React Native, and not a lot of my code will be shared with the web with the web uh, version of my app. Or I'm making this mobile application with Flutter, and my accessibility in web isn't as good. So there's definitely trade offs, and there's there's some pros and cons to everything. We don't need to dive too deep into that. But with Capacitor, I think the biggest pro is is if you have the web skills, they immediately transfer over, and making a Capacitor app is a lot quicker than other options out there. Well, I was going to ask you about that because, like, you know, I have a client, you know, maybe I've been building an application for the web for <clears throat> four years and they they have an existing, um, but, you know, old um, uh, native app for iOS and another one for Android. And they no longer have the skills if they ever had them to build it. Maybe they fi- hired out to have it built. So here they are sitting on their school skill web skills. Uh, and I'm wondering, I'm sitting here wondering, well, you know, it's four years of building this stuff up and building these skills up. How, how easy, what, what's my path to putting, to saying, you know what, let's get this onto the mobile using the stuff that we know, maybe even the code that we know, what am I looking at? Um, so you said, Oh, just go in the 11th hour. Can you, you know, give me a, give me a recipe. How do I, what do I do? Okay, I'll give I'll give you the the three step recipe. Step one is you install the capacitor dependencies. So that's capacitor core, our capacitor cli, and then Android or iOS or both. Uh, the second part is generating your mobile projects. Uh, we have a command. We, like I said, we have our command line interface that does that. It's just npx cap add iOS or cap add Android, and then from there it's npx cap sync, and that takes your web code and shoots it out to the Android and iOS projects. And from there, you're 90% of the way there. And you just kind of fill in the gaps with plugins or make sure the experience feels nice. And that that's really about as easy as it is. Getting a first proof of concept onto a device is, uh, can be as easy as 10 to 15 minutes if you haven't done that before. That's whether I use Angular, Vue, React, uh, uh, Svelte, whatever I'm... It's it's just it uh, the underlying... Uh, application development platform that I might be using is irrelevant from this perspective? That's right, yeah. Uh, if you've heard of Ionic Framework before, we have bindings for React, Vue, and Angular. Uh, but if you're using Svelte, you can't use Ionic Framework. But if you're using Svelte, you totally can use Capacitor. Uh, like I've kind of been hammering home, if it works in the browser, it will work uh, in Capacitor. Even if you have some crazy setup with Elm and WebAssembly or whatever your uh, thing is, if it works and a browser will work 
as an app. This is really fun to talk more about Capacitor. And just to remind our audience here, it has, if you've heard Capacitor come out of our mouths before, uh, you're not imagining things. We did talk about it 87 episodes ago in this podcast. So it's been a full two years since we've talked about this topic. And a lot has changed in the web. Um, a lot changes in the web basically month to month. So it was a good to retouch on this, especially since I don't think Flutter, Flutter has really risen quite a bit over the last couple of years too. So that's definitely a much stronger player in this game uh, these days. So thank you, Thomas, for coming on to share about this with us. But we'd like to end our talks about final thoughts for our audience. Now, this could be anything on topic or something you're just really interested in lately. And I'll start with you, Ward. What is your final thought for our audience today? Well, I can I can tell you what's on my mind, John, and that's the upcoming uh, uh Angular Conference, NGConf in Salt Lake City, which I believe is August, if I memory serves. Yeah, I think it's the last weekend of August, first weekend of September. I think it cuts yeah. over. So I'm going to be there. I, uh, I'm i going to give a talk. I stand you are giving a talk. Dan's giving a talk. I don't know. Is Capacitor uh, going to be there? I don't know. Uh, Ionic is usually a sponsor, and so I would, I would bet there's going to be something there. But anyway, I'm... Uh, I'm very. I'm actually pretty excited about this one. You know, I kind of thought like Angular. It's you know, it's same old, same old. Um, but they're they're doing some really different things with the the upcoming version with the things called like standalone components and new things having you know, with the way they're doing dependency injection. And uh, I'm doing wait, wait. one of St- my standalone components. Is that what yeah. is that? Well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Come and find out. Uh, this is version 14. Uh, Are we saying that there's going to be an easier dev experience with Angular? Well, that's the promise. Uh, I'm, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm an old stick in the mud. So I, since I don't have any problem with the Angular, I know it's like, well, uh, so, uh, you know, and my topic isn't on that. My topic is on how do we validate, how should you validate uh, your forms? But I said, you know what, uh, let's get, you know, I, I want to know. So I'm trying out. Uh, in the RC, the release candidate, the um, uh, standalone and these uh, eventually the injection stuff uh, to sort of see, is this the way I would prefer to roll or I, would I stand pat? I, I, I'm totally convinced that if you don't know Angular, uh, learning the standalone way will be easier for people to learn. But, you know, I already know what I'm doing. So would I change the way I do things? I don't know yet. I don't know the answer to that yet. Um, but I, I, uh, I know that I don't hate it, which is step one, <laughs> you know, get off my yep. lawn. You know, I'm, I, all right, you know, I'm letting the, I'm letting them step onto the lawn. Now. Uh, so that's promising. Um, and, uh, there'll be, they'll, you know, as it gets closer, I, I'll probably have some more comments about this, but I want, I, I want to say <clears throat> that this, uh, uh, ngconf, it's probably going to have a lot of substance to it. It's not, uh, they're not just polishing the apple. They're, they're turning it into kind of an orange, uh, without, but I don't, but not breaking anything. All right. It's, but I want to be clear. You can keep rolling as without, as if none of this had happened, but I think, I think they're, they're working, their theme, uh, is let's make this platform easier to use than it was. Um, that's the theme for the whole direction of the evolution of Angular. And boy, is that a theme I can subscribe to. So, John, what are you doing? Yeah, I, I want to pile on plus one a little bit with the uh, NG Comp. I'm excited about it, not just because of the things you mentioned, but because it's like an in, in-person 
conference. Oh, and yeah. that's not been a thing for a long time. So I'm very excited just because that's one of the first in-person conferences I'll be at in two and a half years of uh, staying home. So I'm excited about getting in front of people again. It's a completely different energy being in front of people than it is being virtual. So, uh, and I'm a people person. I, I feed off of energy. So I like to give it and I like to get it. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm also excited, um, quick final thoughts to build on what you had there. Last year at NGCon, which was virtual then, I did a talk called What If? And part of that What If conversation was, it wasn't to say that Angular was bad or good, but it was to talk about what if Angular didn't need modules? What if you didn't need an HTTP uh, library? What if you didn't need all these things? And instead, you used what React and Vue and the others were using with Angular. And, you know, for example, using the Fetch API instead directly with, um, with Angular. What if you had single file components where you put everything in one file instead of across four files, uh, as you can do with Angular, or three if you don't do tests? But, you know, having those kind of things in one place, and I'm really happy to see that that is where the Angular team is heading, uh, is towards a better developer experience, because I think that has been something that while those like Ward, who have used it for a while, are very comfortable with, as a new user to pull new people into the ecosystem, I feel like Vue and React and Svelte, quite frankly, are significantly simpler to slide into than Angular these days. Uh, and if Angular has tremendous functionality, but if it can get to that simplicity side, which I know it can, it just does the team want to get it there. If they're willing to invest in that, which it looks like they are, I'm extremely excited about this. So check out the RC for Angular 14, folks. Um, give them your thoughts. This is our ecosystem. And to me, the more competition, the better in these different platforms. I love all four of these, React, Vue, Svelte, and Angular. And to me, it's the more the merrier. Thomas, what is your final thought for the audience today? Let, let's stick on the ng-conf train. Uh, I, last time I touched Angular was Angular was the Angular 1 days. So I'm, I'm uh, Ionic, and all of, all of us at Ionic will be headed to ng-conf. It'll be my first big conference um, that's in person in a while. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited to hop in and see how that uh, the single fi- the standalone components API is. I want to see what's changed in the since the ten years I touched it last. Um, and let's just uh, plug Capacitor a little bit more. CapacitorJS.com. Check it out. It's free. Super easy to install. Sounds like if you come to ngconf, you're going to get to meet Thomas and talk about Capacitor right there. Face to face. I mean, I, I think that's another one of the great things about coming to a conference is that you can find guys like Thomas and really hammer them face to face. And please don't have hammer eyes him. open. Yeah, just, <laughs> just talk to him. Oh, okay. <laughs> Leave the hammers at home. I'll be the guy in the hard hat running away from war. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of reminds me of dodgeball. You know, if you can dodge a hammer, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> On that note, I'm going to thank everybody for coming today. Thank you, Thomas, for sharing. Thank you, Ward, for joining today. And thank you all for listening to another week of Web Rush and to our sponsors, IdeaBlade, Narwhal, Ionic, and AG Grid. Thank you for keeping us on the air for 190 episodes. We'll see you all next time, every Thursday. 